What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast, brought to you by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today we've got Donnie Williams in this next track session we're about to feature. Donnie is the lead pastor of LifePoint Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and he's about to teach us on what his church has done to switch from a more attractional model to a Bible-centered model. He discusses what it looks like to combat culture's leanings through sound, biblical teaching, and, you guessed it, discipleship. Hope that you enjoy this episode. Again, this is Donnie Williams from LifePoint Church. Here we go. One of our uh, members in our network is uh, Donnie Williams. Donnie is a lead pastor in Raleigh of LifePoint Christian Church. Uh, it's a thriving, resilient church. Um, and Donnie made a commitment in the middle of COVID. He made a covenant with God that he was going to preach Scripture. He was going to preach the Bible as the final authority on all things, no matter what culture said and no matter what was, uh, what, what was apparently going to happen uh, to, to his church, whether, whether it felt winsome or not, he was preaching the Word of God. And he's going to unpack for us today what that did at his church and for his team there in Raleigh. And so if you would help me welcome Donnie Williams. All right. So Jason mentioned my story. I'm going to share the story of how uh, God did a big change in me in the way I speak and teach. And also that led to a big change in our church. You know, over the last couple of years, if you're a church leader, how many church leaders in the room, lead pastors, elders, staff people, you probably looked at the church through a lens and felt like it was in trouble. When my kids were little, uh, they talked me into getting them a dog. And we got this little fluffy white dog. And when she was about two years old, this little dog couldn't walk anymore. She just would drag her back legs behind her. So we take her to the vet school. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Took, it, took the dog to uh, the North Carolina vet school, which is not cheap. We went there, dropped her off. She's there at about 100, 150 bucks a day. Uh, I was a college minister at the time, so I'm adding up the price, and like five days go by, my wife calls and says, honey, they, they want to talk to you about Daisy. You need to go by the vet school. Uh, they want to tell you what's wrong, what they want to do. So I go by the vet school. I sit down in the consultation room. The, the guy comes in, and he's telling me about this tumor on her spine and how uh, they can operate, and it, it, she may survive the surgery, maybe, possibly. They're not sure about that. Uh, and then they'll fit her with a doggy wheelchair and teach us how to expel, expel her bladder several times a day. Uh, and if she lives and everything goes as planned, uh, she would have a long, happy life in that doggy wheelchair if she even survived the surgery, which was doubtful. And I said, all right, well, love my kids, like this dog. So uh, what's it going to cost? And he's like, well, $4,000. I was like, hold on a minute. I go outside, call my wife. As soon as she answers the phone, she said, how's Daisy? And I said, she's not going to make it. If you looked at your church over the last few years, less, the past couple years, you have probably had the feeling of, we're not going to make it. Things are happening in our world and in our culture, and it feels like we're not going to make it. And in my story, it's probably a lot like yours. There was a period of time where we weren't meeting, where division seemed to be at an all-time high. 
And any answer we tried to give to what was going on in our culture, any reaction we had to make or tried to make, meant that you would alienate 50% of the people in your church. Experts started to say things like, the gathered church is over. Anybody hear that? People aren't going to gather anymore. They're not going to give anymore. Uh, Giving's just going to dry up. And church as we know it will never return to what it was pre-2020. And so... I'm during this long shutdown thinking, well, I got to do something else for a living because I, I know I'm supposed to lead this church and whether it can support me or not, no matter how many people are there, I, I, I got to figure out how to make this thing work. And I had this overwhelming sense that God was not audibly speaking to me, but that God was saying, if you take care of my church, I'm going to take care of you. And so all these other ways I was thinking of doing a side hustle, second income, kind of went away. And I turned to an old friend, a friend that had gotten me through some really difficult personal struggles, a friend that had given me direction and provided conviction and encouragement like nothing else ever did, and that was my Bible. It wasn't that I never used the Bible or didn't teach or preach from the Bible. It was just all of a sudden the word seemed fresh and something was different. And I remember, and I remembered while I was reading it fresh again, why I fell in love with teaching in the first place. And I was convicted. I was convicted that, that I was off track. That the way we were teaching, not that we weren't using the Bible, it was just, it, it felt like it wasn't in a deep enough place to motivate change in people's lives. In fact, I think, the church in America has gotten off track. Because in the church growth movement over the past 30 years or so, if you've been around long enough to watch all that happen and watch big churches happen and the church growth formula, which is find a suburb that's growing, make sure you have a charismatic leader that can speak well, loud music, kids ministry that's, that's done well, and you had a formula. You had a formula that added in some quick teaching on topics that met the felt needs of the masses sounded more like self-help sometime, but it was still called a sermon series with titles like, and I'm not, if your church does this, I'm not cutting on it, but well, maybe I am. Uh, at the movies, gospel according to Disney, gospel according to Pixar. There's no gospel in those things, by the way. Five steps to joy, three ways to be content, how to deal with doubt, now, of course, being creative in our teaching, which is what we always did at the church I lead, needs to be done, but the gospel stands on its own. We don't need all that other stuff to try to sell the gospel. So now we have enough history to look back at this 30-plus year church growth movement in our country, and we have enough history to look back and say, how's that been? What, like, what has that produced? And we've all been part of this, let's make the church grow and move in our country. But it led me to a big question. What has been the result? So my oldest child, is, uh, she's 26 years old, and uh, she's on our staff. And we were having a conversation during this, this time of, you know, doubting and wondering what was going to happen. And and I was talking to her a little bit about this conviction to teach God word, God's word in a way we never have before. 
And she said, you know, Dad, as I think about growing up, and she grew up at the church that we planted, and she said, I remember learning about how to take initiative. I remember learning about how to be kind. I remember learning about how to be a good friend. But I really don't remember learning about God's Word. Now, we taught our kids at home that, so it wasn't a a big gaping hole in her spiritual life. But what about all the kids that their parents didn't teach them God's word at home, but they sure know how to take initiative and stick a verse with it, and then they know how to be kind and stick a verse with it. And it made me think, what have we produced in the next generation if all they have learned are character traits that make them better people, but they haven't learned the gospel of Christ and how to apply that in every part of their life. So what's the result been? So you, you can give me some feedback. It, does the, do people who say they're followers of Jesus, do they have more discernment or less discernment today? Less. Does anybody think more? Like, oh, no, we, we have way more discernment. Church is doing great. Really, really making a dip, big difference in our culture. George Barna just did a study that he found that 69% of Americans would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Well, when you read that, you think, that's a great 69%. That's a lot of people that would say they're Christians. But when the question is asked about a biblical worldview, only 9% of the 69% agree with a biblical worldview, which, which would say things like the Bible is accurate, the Bible is reliable, and it's authoritative in our lives. That's what it means to have a biblical worldview. So whatever we've done to make disciples, whatever content we've used, our approach, the result is that 9% of the 69% of the people who claim to be Christians have a biblical worldview. So maybe we need a different approach since that doesn't seem to be working. And as I was listening to Renee talk and Jim talk, I was thinking, God, please keep us from persecution because I don't think the church is strong enough to handle it. I don't think individual followers of Jesus have been trained up to be able to handle persecution. See, here's what I taught my church because I shared that Barna study, and it goes much deeper, like uh, even pastors that don't have a biblical worldview, and uh, just you can find that by just Googling it. But it's really convicting because you can't say you have a biblical worldview and then say things like, my body, my choice. You can't say, well, I have a biblical worldview, but I think that you should be able to marry whoever you want to marry doesn't matter. Just do whatever you feel. You can say those things. You have the freedom to say that and believe it, but not and say you have a biblical worldview. And only 9% of the 69% of people who claim to follow Jesus have that worldview. You can't say we are, our body is autonomous. It's not. We're not our own. We were bought at a price. We're supposed to honor God with our body. You can't say things like that and also say, yes, I have a biblical worldview. So what I was watching was people who I lead, just in my church, struggle to discern culture. They didn't know how to answer 
questions about the deep political divide in our country. They didn't know how to go and answer those questions or answer them online. They didn't know. They were struggling with it. They didn't know how to have conversations about race that unite people around the gospel of Christ and their identity in him. They didn't know to have those conversations because the world doesn't teach them how to do that. I was watching them struggle with conversations about gender and sexuality. And I just remember having this moment where I thought, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. And as I read their posts, their likes, their shares, their hashtags, I thought of what happened with Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 when he'd been going all around teaching. Chapter 9, verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I just thought, they don't know how to discern. The people I'm charged with leading do not know how to discern truth from a lie. So I knew a couple things. I knew that I'm called to lead these people no matter what. Income or not, big crowd or not. Now, I, I get up and speak to rooms that are full, completely full. Sometimes folks standing around in the back. And whether it's that many people or just a handful of people sitting down front, I'm called to lead these people no matter what. I knew that. Now that was settled. I started to pray and think, what, what am I called to do? God, what do you, how can I help with this? And so I made a commitment. Not a deal with God, not, hey, you send all the people back and I'll preach better. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was, God, I will teach your word no matter what. I wrote this phrase in the front of my Bible. I don't remember where I saw it, who said it first. I've seen it for years. It says, I've got nothing to prove, no one to impress, and only Jesus to please. Those three phrases are in the front cover. When I open my Bible, I see them first thing. So I went to my teaching team because we use a teaching team model and I, I lead that teaching team. And I said, okay, guys, things have to change. We are going to make a shift from the way we've been teaching God's word to where we really open up God's word and allow it to guide us through whatever topic it's addressing at the time. And it took some time to get into that rhythm. In fact, it took a whole year of trying to figure out how not to teach just grab a topic in two or three weeks, grab a topic in five weeks. And it took about a year to figure out and, and wobble a little bit and figure out how to do that. And in January of 22, I started a teaching series on Romans. Romans chapter one started early January. This past Sunday, I did the first part of Romans 13. I think we'll finish up before November and now, or in November. You might be at a church that does that already, and you're thinking, well, what's the big deal? We had never done that ever before. It was a big deal to just say, hey, church, this year, we are going to teach through a particular book of the Bible and let God's Word change us and guide us. And so I just want to share with you just six observations that I've made over the past year as I've watched people listen to God's word, apply God's word, and as I've taught God's word. So with my commitment to preach God's word no matter what, here's what I've noticed. 
People are hungry for the word of God. They are hungry for it. The world is confusing. People want answers. Their kids are going to school where they're being taught to choose their pronouns and they want answers. And if they're going to come and give us an hour to sit with us, they deserve to get some real answers. I mean, we have them here. I have parents saying, help me know how to discern this. Employees saying, they're going to make us all do this, sign this, not do this. What do I do? And they don't know how to discern. And at my church about six months ago, I started to notice the first three or four rows was all college or all students, student ministry, high school kids. And then I looked down and at first I thought they were texting. But then they started to come and tell me after the service, hey, what was it you said? And they're actually taking notes. And I'm watching them open up their Bible as teenagers with a hunger for God's words. Because all the questions they have about sexuality and gender and love and life, if we don't answer those questions, the world will. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. So I made a commitment. Never again am I going to cozy up to the world to try to make God's word relevant. It stands on its own. Another thing it does, it accelerates personal discernment. Bringing life to the words in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And what's interesting, it accelerates discernment because how many messages on parenting do you think I've had to give this year or how to be a better husband or wife? How many times does the book of Romans directly address that? Well, so far, none. But it has accelerated discernment such that people are coming up to me saying things like, hey, thanks for going through the book of Romans. It's making me a better dad. Oh, how's it making you a better dad? 
because I'm sitting with my kids and I'm reading the Bible with them every night. And I've never done that before. And now they're more discerning in areas where they need to be discerning. Wives coming up to me saying, I I don't know what's going on at this church, but my husband, he opens up the Bible, he reads it to our family, and he has never done that before this year. Before you challenged us to read our Bibles, open our Bibles, apply them. In the last nine months, I've seen people in my church, more joy, more contentment, more generosity. And we didn't even do a series this fall on generosity. And I'm watching posts and likes and shares change little by little. Another thing that I have noticed is that teaching the word of God, no matter, no matter what, identifies false teaching in the church. Like you heard Renee talk about, there's plenty of information out there, podcasts, sermons, uh, blogs. People can get on YouTube and watch anything that are available to all. So I guarantee no matter how strong of a expository, biblically-based, Jesus-loving, lift-up-the-Bible-as-authoritative-word-of-God preacher you are, your people that you preach to are exposed to false teachers. Because teaching God's word is always going to expose Satan's lies. I did something over the past year I've never done before. I, because the book of Romans does talk about false teaching. And so I, I, would put, I put up a quote from teachers. And I said, look at what that person says. And I, says who, I said who it was. And I said, that person is a false teacher. Beware when you listen to, read, or try to digest anything that person says because they are a false teacher. Now, that's uncomfortable to call out. But if we don't, who will? If we don't teach what love really is, who will? They're not going to learn it at school. If we don't teach what true biblical love defined by God who is love, if we don't teach what that is, our kids, our people aren't going to learn it anywhere else. If we don't teach what sin is, who's going to do that? Here's the thing about false teaching. There's no hats that say, I'm a false teacher. I've never seen a t-shirt like, warning, I'm a false teacher. False teaching does not identify itself as false teaching. So you have to be able to discern and figure out, well, what's false and what's true. Teaching that's deeply rooted in the word of God will expose false teaching. Another thing that preaching the word of God, no matter what, has led to is boldness because it requires boldness to teach it. So far in the book of Romans, I've had to teach on topics I would have never chosen, but the book of Romans led me there. The wrath of God, sexual immorality, homosexuality, predestination, God hardening the hearts of people for his purpose, racism, politics and government, and false teachers. Topics that in years past, I would have said those are for personal private conversations. We're going to inspire people with the word of God so they come back next week and live a little bit of this in their life. So you don't have to be an agenda-based speaker, pastor, preacher, communicator 
Just teach the Word of God and look at all of those topics that I've had to deal with because the Word of God deals with them. The Word of God also releases the power of the Holy Spirit. When the only agenda is to teach His Word, His Holy Spirit shows up and makes timing just right. Uh, You probably heard there's a midterm election coming up in a couple of weeks. I didn't plan it this way, but last Sunday I taught the first part of Romans 13, verses 1 through 7 are about how we interact with government. Only the Holy Spirit could lay out that schedule. I did not lay it out that way. I didn't plan that far ahead in January. I just knew I'm going to teach through Romans and wherever we get to this one, we get to this one. So the power of the Holy Spirit will guide you where you need to go through his word, and you'll see the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. And the last thing I've noticed is committing to teach the word of God no matter what always brings results. Always. Isaiah 55, verse 11 says, It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. And I won't, I won't share numbers of our church because it, when you share numbers, that it's either going to sound huge or it's not going to sound that big. But let me tell you this. If you walked into our church on Sunday morning, it would be like COVID never even happened. In fact, more people than before COVID even happened. If you looked at our budget and our generosity, it looks like COVID never even happened. But beyond that, the clarity and the vision that's spoken by all of the staff, around 30 of them, the clarity and vision that's spoken by leaders, it's clearer than it's ever been. Years ago, people would come to our church. We, we grew fast. We, we, uh, before COVID, we had three campuses. Uh, now we have two because one was in a school, and you know how all that went. They wouldn't let us back in, and so we weren't able to keep that one going. But people would come, uh, you know, the, the music's loud, the lights are moving, there's haze in the room and all that stuff. And people would come up and they would say, Donnie, we, we like you. We, we really have connected to this church, but we just don't feel like the teaching's deep enough. Every time somebody said that, it hurt my feelings. And that's really hard to hurt my feelings. But I'd be like, I read the Bible. I prepare a message. Like, what do you mean it's not deep enough? You know how many hours I spent? putting together that message on and just pick the topic? And they'd say, it's just, it's hard to explain. It's just not deep enough. And I would, I would have my spiritual fist separated. Let me show, I'll tell you, I'll show you what's deep. Yeah, go to some other boring church. That's fine. That's, that was my attitude then. And as I was writing this series of messages that's going to last a year, I was recalling many of those conversations going, oh, I see what they're talking about. I understand what they meant. I took it as a personal cut on my teaching. But what they were trying to say is, we're not using the word of God to apply to the culture we're trying to live in and know how we can get answers from God's word, not just to be better people, but to have the answers we need to have for our family, for my kids, for my friends, and how to interact in the world that is increasingly moving against us. That's what they were trying to say. It came out as, 
it's not deep enough, and I would get mad and say, fine, do whatever you want to do. I just want to encourage you with this final thought. If you're still shying away from tough topics, just teach God's Word, and everything that needs to be taught will be taught. If you're still shying away from, oh, I don't know, I don't, if I got up and I tried to deal with sexuality or if I tried to mention the whole abortion thing that's going on in our country and people fighting and, and yelling out and hashtagging and carrying signs and protesting, if I got up and tried to talk about that from the stage, you might be thinking it would cause problems. It will. Because the word of God is like a two-edged sword. I encourage you to do it and go for it because he promises us when we put his word out, it will not return void. So try it and see what happens. I wanted to take the, the last part here just to do any question answer. If you have any questions like how'd you do this or why did, how's this turned out or how'd you make that decision? Some of you are way back there, so you might have to yell a little bit. But any, any questions anybody has? The question was, how'd you go about dividing up? Like, uh, we're doing the book of Romans right now, how we divide it up. So um, to give you a little bit of context, uh, we did a season at our church. We'd never done yearly themes. And so we did this season. Uh, this year, we're calling it Devoted 22. If you want to know what all that looks like, if you go to devoted22.com, you can see it kind of looks like a, it's a spiritual growth campaign is what it is. We're not asking for money, but it kind of looks like that if you've been through one of those campaigns. And so we divided Acts 2.42, and we, we just did three sections, but there were four things that they were devoted to. We combined uh, fellowship and the breaking of bread, but we divided the year into three segments. First was the apostles' teaching. That's what they were devoted to, the breaking of bread and fellowship. And then the last was prayer, and we're in a season of prayer for, renew for revival right now. So when we started out, I didn't know Romans was going to take the whole year. I just said, well, if they were devoted, the first Christians were devoted to the apostles' teaching, what was the apostles' teaching? And that's kind of what helped us arrive at, well, let's do Romans, because that's a very deep theological book. It's two groups of people trying to come together, the Jews and the Gentiles trying to learn to love and respect each other. And so I just did, we divided it into five different series that had different names. We just didn't call it the book of Romans the whole year. So if you were just a casual observer and you looked on our website, you would see there were still five series, teaching series all year, but they were all based on the book of Romans, just where we were in that time. And so we just started the last part, which is called the direction of grace. So the last part of Romans is all about uh, how we live out grace um, horizontally after we receive it from God uh, vertically. And so our teaching team, we would just sit down and say these first four chapters how do we want to divide it up? What's a good thought to stop on and go to the next one? So we just sat in a room and just kind of whiteboarded it out. And then um, I prep a couple of weeks out, so I just knew what big topics were coming. And so we had resources like uh, when I did Romans 1, when we talked about sexual immorality, we had a resource library out in the lobby where they could get some really good books that would help people take that topic a little bit deeper. All right, well, let me pray. Thank you all for coming in here uh, for this. And uh, you get out a little bit early, so let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And God, thank you for leading me to teach it and convicting me to teach it in a way 
that was fresh for our church, and I pray that that story can help someone else have the courage to deeply teach your word in a way that transforms lives and helps people discern truth from lies. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Up next, we've got another track session from Renew.org. So make sure you click the subscribe button wherever it is you get your podcast so that you know when I release that next episode. All right, y'all. Thanks again for listening and have a great day. We'll see you. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today.